Well, good morning and welcome to Christ Church. My name is Pete Stearns and I'm our pastor of Family Ministries. I had the pleasure of growing up in the Pacific Northwest. And the Pacific Northwest is a region that is known for its natural beauty. You have the jagged coastline of the Pacific Ocean, the mountains that seemingly erupt into the sky, the lush Ho rainforest. But one of the best kept secrets of Washington State, and I say this a little bit tongue in cheek, is the Skagit Valley Tulip Festival. You see, my parents decided each year to load myself and my four siblings into the car to travel two hours north to go to this flower fair. Let me tell you, I do not believe that the target audience for a tulip festival is a group of rowdy elementary and middle school aged children. And myself in particular really struggled to appreciate the beauty because I am both colorblind and allergic to bees. So this was kind of this monochromatic minefield, so to speak, for me. And uh, anytime I read Psalm 23 about the valley of the shadow of death, I picture myself amidst the tulips in Skagit Valley. All kidding aside, though, the tulip is a rather spectacular plant. You see, it's one of the most beautiful flowers that is accessible to the common gardener. In fact, many of us probably have planted tulips before in our life. Perhaps they are a fixture in our garden boxes in our front yards. You see, its blossom is, is beautiful, filled with color. It is vibrant, but it is also fleeting. You see, a tulip only blossoms for two to three weeks out of each and every year. The remaining 11 months of the year, it shrinks back down into its bulb, dormant beneath the surface of the dirt in an extended winter. We are in the midst of a series called The Seasons of the Soul. And last week, Dan led us through the season of autumn and asked us to consider what it would mean to release something or someone from our life so that they might be ushered into growth, however difficult it may be. Well, today we will explore winter. And here in the Midwest, when we think of winter, we think of dark, depressing, cold, miserable, cruel, filled with death and destruction, or at least if you are a West Coast guy that has been transported to the Midwest, that's what you think of. But I want to push those connotations aside and instead picture this tulip bulb resting dormant beneath the surface of the soil, preparing to erupt forth into a magnificent blossom filled with glory and color. We've been paralleling the story that is so familiar to all of us of the prodigal son as we've looked at these different seasons. And to catch you up, last week we looked at how the father released a portion of his estate to his youngest son. The youngest son had come to him and asked for his inheritance early, and in doing so had essentially told the father that he was dead to him. But more importantly, 
in doing so, he had crippled his family's financial stability. You see, because his inheritance was not liquid like many of us might think about. It was not just a portion of money that was set aside in a bank account. Instead, it was a portion of the family's estate, of their land, the land that produced their livelihood. And so in taking a portion of this land, he was also taking a portion of the property and the business that was providing for the family, that was filling their bellies with food. This was not just a property that his father had bought after he had come into some money, but instead was likely an estate that had been lived on for generations and generations. And the son asked for his portion early because he intends to use it for his purposes. If this is your first time reading the story, you might hope that the son has intentions to plant some sort of crop that would produce a more fruitful yield. Perhaps he is going to sell off this piece of land, but maybe he is going to invest it in a frugal manner that will bring wealth and stability back to his family. But for those of us who are familiar with this story, we know that that is simply not the case. And today, we are going to be looking at the recklessness of the prodigal son as an example of two forms of winter that we might find ourselves in today. Please open with me to Luke chapter 15. We'll begin at verse 13. It says, Not long after that, so not long after he's received his inheritance, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. Now, as I think about this son moving off into a distant land, selling off his generational estate that his family has worked so hard for, I can't help but be struck by the sheer and utter blindness necessary to enter into this type of irresponsibility. You see, the son has taken that which was so valuable, that which had provided for his parents, his grandparents, his great-grandparents, and their parents before them. And he has liquidated it. He sold it off as if it is a worthless possession to be picked up at a garage sale. And he has taken that money not to invest it, not to pursue long-term stability, not to bring honor and glory to his family, but instead to pursue the pleasures of this world. He's taken a portion of land, a portion of an estate that has taken generations of work to acquire, and he has gone completely through it in the matter of weeks. You see, he has a blatant disregard for his family, He has a blatant disregard for the value of that property, and he also has a blatant disregard to his financial future, however selfish that may be. And you see, when we read this story, we catch a glimpse of one of these two forms of the winter of the soul. The first form of this winter is characterized 
by spiritual blindness. And I, pers- uh, or I define spiritual blindness as the pursuit of earthly idols for the feelings and the emotions that they produce in our life. You see, that first form of blindness is, is legitimately not recognizing the true value of God's grace in our life. It's legitimately not recognizing the unique identity that he has given us and the intrinsic value that he has poured out on us. And instead, we become fixated upon the things that the world has to offer us and we pursue them wholeheartedly. Oftentimes when we think about this type of spiritual winter, we picture the exploits of our youth as we pursue after those things that give us a taste of what heaven might be like, but fall so entirely incomplete. In 2010, a young woman had just recently moved into a new home, and she was looking to furnish her home on a budget. And so she did what many of us do. She went to a flea market. And while she was at that flea market, a frame caught her eye. It was ornate. It had a golden veneer. It was carefully hand-carved. And she thought to herself that it would be a beautiful home or a beautiful piece for her home. It would be one of those things that would cause her guests to pause and look. And she had the perfect idea of the painting that she already had that she could place in that frame. And so she haggled with the dealer and bought it for an insignificant $7. She brought that frame home, took the canvas that was in it out and rolled it up and put it in a box in her attic and placed her painting in it. And sure enough, it became a talking point for anyone that would come in. As guests visited her home, they would admire the artwork that was hanging in it and talk about just how beautiful the frame was. I'm sure this young woman loved to tell them of just how much of a steal it was, purchasing it for only $7. Well, as happens when we live in our homes, over the course of the next few years, she acquired quite a bit of clutter and junk. And so she did what most of us millennials do. She called her mom to help her clean. And so her mom came over to her house And they were going through all of her possessions, and they made their way up into the attic, and they were working through just boxes of junk. And at some point in this process, the mom stumbled upon this canvas that had been torn out of the frame and rolled up and was collecting dust in the attic. She didn't recognize the painting, but the more she looked at it, the more curious she became. And she turned to her daughter and said, I wonder if we shouldn't have this checked out. And I'm sure her daughter told her, Mom, it was just in this frame that I bought at the garage sale. It's, it's not worth anything. But the mother was insistent. And so finally, to appease the mother, perhaps as a thank you for coming over to help, she brought the painting into a local art dealer. The local art dealer unrolled it and studied it very closely before exclaiming that this was, in fact, an original Renoir that had been missing for over 80 years. He then purchased that painting from the young woman for $100,000. 
You see, I think this is a beautiful illustration of what it means to be caught up in spiritual blindness. You see, how often in our lives do we become fixated upon the frames of this world? The veneers of what our culture has to offer us, and in doing so, become blinded to the intrinsic value that lies within. How many of us have taken the grace that God has given us and discarded it in a box in our attic and instead became focused on the idols that produce feelings of happiness or success in our life? You see, if we find ourselves in a winter of a soul characterized by spiritual blindness, it is not that we have the intention to ignore God. It's not that we have seen His grace and grasped its depth and have chosen to turn elsewhere, it's that we are completely blind to its reality. And so we find ourselves instead pursuing those idols and pleasures that the world has to offer. We long for sex, for wealth, for possessions, for notoriety, because we believe that those idols will produce in us feelings that make our lives worthwhile. The truth of the matter is, is that if you find yourself amidst a winter characterized by blindness, it's actually quite easy to make a rapid transformation from this darkness into the light that God has to offer. Much like the tulip bulb that sits dormant beneath the surface, it just takes a glimpse of the light of spring for you to burst forth in this magnificent blossom. In fact, many of us here today know the stories and testimonies of people that have had transformational experiences just like that. Friends or family members who, when they were in high school and college, were known for their partying and crazy antics, but now are pillars of their church and are pursuing God with all of their heart. Why? Because they experienced God's grace in a tangible manner. Their eyes were open to the significance that is found in Christ's work on the cross. We've heard stories of, of drug dealers that have met Jesus, and, and in doing so, they have become community advocates. Of murderers who experience the gospel for the first time while they are in prison, and they leave jail with a renewed sense of purpose and enter into vocational ministry and are powerful preachers. We see it throughout Scripture, the life of the Apostle Paul, Zacchaeus, to name a few. But the truth is, is that very few of us are probably in one of these spiritual winters that is characterized by blindness because we are here today. We are seeking after God's glory. We are aware of His grace. But in this recognition, we should be encouraged and challenged to be the light that produces spring in the bulbs of winter of so many around us. If you look at our modern culture, it is clear that many are caught 
in spiritual blindness. And if you turn to Scripture, you can recognize that we can play a significant role in giving those people a tangible experience of Christ that might stir in them the type of transformation that allows them to blossom into the person that God had made them to be. One of my favorite verses, and I talk about it often, is 1 John 4, 9 through 12. It says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. For no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. You see, this passage could easily read, as we were caught in the dormancy of winter, seemingly trapped beneath the soil of our worlds, God sent his Son to free us from our captivity so that we might blossom in to the beautiful creation he intended us to be. And he has equipped us to in the same way spread his light and his love so that he might be seen among us. You see, we carry a responsibility as the image bearers of Christ to break our world out of their spiritual darkness, to fight past the blindness that afflicts so many, and instead offer an image of God's love that has the power to transform, transform in a radical way. You might be in the spring or summer of your relationship with God. And if that's the case, I challenge you to take seriously the call to break others free from their winter. As the parable goes on, we see the prodigal son transition from this first type of spiritual winter to a second. And I feel convicted that this second form of spiritual winter is far more challenging to break free from. Its captivity holds us so much more closely than the first. It says, after we have just heard that he has spent everything and that there is a severe famine in the country, he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You see, this is such a crucial transition because in the midst of his blindness, he doesn't recognize his need. As he is spending off this great gift that his father has bestowed upon him, he doesn't even recognize that he has any needs as he pursues the pleasures of this world. But suddenly, after everything is gone, he becomes acutely aware of his need and his brokenness. The logical response would be to turn and go back home. But instead we see this young man enter into this second form 
of spiritual winter. He instead pursues after seemingly more responsible idols of this world in order to suppress the feelings of need that he has in his life. He goes off and hires himself out as a laborer. And as we read this in the 21st century, it's easy to assume that Jesus is just referring to uh, a manual labor job. But the reality is, is that for the Hebrew listeners of Jesus, they would have recognized the depth of how far the son had gone to avoid his family because pigs were as unkosher an animal as you could possibly work with. And in fact, Levitical law's greatest curse that it could place on someone would be that you might live amongst the pigs. Surely there were other jobs for this man. But instead, he chooses one that is in stark contrast to the life that his father had originally intended for him. And he pursues this type of work in order to meet the need that he now has, having spent off the great gift of his father. You see, this form of a winter of a soul is defined as spiritual denial. The pursuit of of the idols of this world for the feelings and the emotions that they suppress. If spiritual blindness is characterized by our pursuit of the pleasures and the feelings of this world, spiritual denial is defined by our pursuit of the things of this world that can take those holes and brokenness in our life and temporarily bandage them so that we can continue to move forward. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old at home named Shepard. And for any of you who have ever been around a two-and-a-half-year-old, you recognize that I am currently in the throes of denial. And there is no place in which that is more evident than at bedtime. Shepard very clearly recognizes his need for sleep, his exhaustion, as he throws himself onto the ground pounding his fists and crying and throwing temper tantrums, but he is in denial that the solution to this problem is sleep. So after our bedtime routine, after we've read stories, we, we place him in his crib, and he begins to cry. You see, he feels that exhaustion. He is cognizant of it, but he doesn't know how to alleviate it. And so his little mind races to think, how can I make myself feel better? And usually his first solution is a tissue. And so I'll hear through the monitor, Daddy, Daddy, I need a tissue. And so, of course, because anyone that's heard a two-and-a-half-year-old crying out knows you have to go in. So I bring in a tissue, and, and he blows his nose, and he feels better for a moment. I'm sure he's ready to hop out of the crib and continue to play with trains. But instead, we leave him there, and... And a few minutes later, I hear him cry again. He cries out, Daddy, Daddy, I need my football blanket, not my buffalo blanket. And so I go in and I take the buffalo blanket off him and I put the football blanket on him. And that seems to calm him down for a little bit. A few moments later, you can see him kind of searching around in the monitor in the darkness of his crib, feeling out every stuffed animal there until... He's struck by the horrifying realization that his lion is not with him. 
And so he cries out for his lion, and, and my wife Brittany and I search tirelessly around the house to find where he has stuffed this lion during the day, and when we find it, we bring it back. After that, it's his water, or it's a snack, or he needs a back rub, or, or any number of things that will provide a temporary ease to his pain until finally, in complete exhaustion, he simply falls asleep. You see, we can talk about the denial of a toddler with a smile on our face. But the truth of the matter is, is that this is an apt picture of what I look like in the midst of spiritual denial. You see, I'm aware of my need. I'm aware of my brokenness. I'm aware of how far I fall short of the glory of God. And I feel these yearnings for an identity that can be found only in Him, as Ephesians 2 tells us. I feel this longing to be known and belong to the family of God. I feel an innate desire to have purpose in this life, but instead of turning to God and receiving His grace, I turn to things that are seemingly responsible pursuits that can, for a time, suppress the brokenness within me. You see, as we pursue identity, we look to our places of work. We throw ourselves into our jobs, working tirelessly, long hours that negatively impact our family, because we believe that if I just continue to do this, I will be known for what I have done, and I will be recognized by my bosses, only to find after years of giving everything to our job, we aren't put up for that promotion. Or we're cut amidst a corporate layoff. And suddenly, our world is shattered. And that need that can only be met by Christ is even more apparent. We have these deep desires to belong, to be known, and so we project that desire upon our spouse, assuming that this loneliness can be remedied by the love of our husband or our wife. And so we fill this God-sized hole with another broken person. And over the course of the years, we see that it slowly erodes that relationship until we find ourselves on the doorsteps of divorce. We sense that longing to have purpose, but we feel that it's too late for us. I've gone too far in my life to really have significance, to really have purpose, and so instead we place the responsibility to make an impact in this world upon the shoulders of our children only to find that they too are unable to live up to our unrealistic expectations for ourselves. And we spend them spiraling into the throes of anxiety and depression. You see, if we find ourselves in the midst of this winter that is defined by our spiritual denial, we do so at great cost to ourselves and to those around us. And you see, it is far harder 
to break loose from this captivity. Because we are aware of God's grace. We recognize that the only way that we can be made whole is through the atoning sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Yet, we have chosen to pursue after things that give us a temporary respite from our pain and our brokenness. We are in complete denial that God is calling us back home. Well, the parable continues. And Jesus says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. You see, this is such a powerful moment in this story. Because the young man comes to a realization. And it's a far more profound realization than we probably initially assume. Because at that time, servants were the lowest of the low. In fact, in the hierarchy of the family, slaves were considered far more a part of the clan than the servants were. In fact, if your estate fell on hard times and you were struggling to feed yourself, you would be sure to make sure that your slaves and their families were well-fed and protected and had shelter over their head, and at the same time, you would dismiss all of your servants to fend for themselves. So as this young man recognizes that even the servants, the servants, the most transient of people in this culture, the day laborers that were hired for a specific task and then forgotten the next day, they had it better than he did. And he would go back and serve for even just a day in his father's estate, and his life would be more fulfilling than it was now in pursuit of these idols that were suppressing this longing and this brokenness. You see, he has a breakthrough. He has a spiritual realization. And if we find ourselves in the midst of this winter, we should be encouraged to recognize that just like the tulip bulb, it just takes one moment of God's glory, one glimpse of his light, one small recognition of the springtime to come, to propel us through the surface of the soil into that which we were intended to be in God's kingdom. If we find ourselves in denial, it is pertinent that we seek to open our eyes into spiritual realization. And in this spiritual realization, we recognize the intrinsic value that is found in the all-sufficient grace of God that was produced through Christ's work on the cross. As I said before, if we are in the midst of this denial, it's not going to be easy to break through. But there are a few things that we can be doing to help produce a yield of springtime. And the first thing that I want to encourage us all to be doing, regardless of the season of our life that we find ourselves in, is to be consistent in the practice of examine. 
Examine is a type of prayer or a journal activity in which each day we take stock of our lives. We intentionally pause before we rest our heads or immediately upon waking up, and we look back over our day and have a conversation with God. We share with Him where we saw Him this day, where we received His grace this day, but also where we ignored Him, where we practiced this sort of denial. And I'm confident that if we are intentional about doing this, suddenly our eyes will be opened to where we are practicing denial in our life, and it will give us a foothold to begin breaking that denial down. Like I said, we find that denial in a variety of forms and fashions, whether it be in our places of work, in our relationships, in our children, in our pursuit of identity, belonging, and purpose. And each one of those will have a different response. But it starts by seeking out and honestly and authentically naming the places in which we are pursuing idols to suppress the brokenness in our life. The second thing that I think is crucial for us as believers is to find yourself in a community of believers that cares for you deeply and loves the Lord Jesus Christ with all of their heart. Here at Christ Church, we believe that that community can be found in a small group. And my wife and I have been a part of a small group for the past eight years. And this group has been instrumental in helping us navigate the cycles of our seasons of the soul. They have been instrumental in helping me break through a variety of spiritual winters that I have experienced over the years because as is the case with the seasons, they will come and go. You will find that even though you are in the midst of the summer now, one day you will be back in the winter. But if you have partners that have been walking alongside you in the midst of that, they may be able to recognize your denial better than you can. And that leads us to the most important aspect of, of that small group, is that you must have permission to speak the hard truths into each other's lives. Look, we don't suppress this brokenness. We don't suppress these needs because we feel good about them. We do it because we're embarrassed by that brokenness. We do it because we're ashamed by our sin. And if we don't give others in our life permission to speak into those places that we feel insecure and afraid, then we will continue on in our life getting a pat on the back, being told it will get better someday. It is very easy for these groups that can be so instrumental in shaping your life to quickly becoming a group that just permits you to continue living in the broken rhythms of your life. I cannot stress the importance of being circled and surrounded by those that want to see you move from winter into spring. And I believe that we can be a community that breaks through the darkness of the brokenness that is brought by Satan into our lives so that we might flourish as a community into the full blossoms that Christ is calling us to. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, 
Lord, we come before you today humbly admitting that many of us are in the midst of a winter of our soul as characterized by spiritual blindness to the intrinsic value of the grace that you have bestowed upon us or is defined by a denial of that great gift as the only solution to our brokenness. Lord, we pray that as a community we would strive to break through the surface of this world and to be like those fields of flowers. Lord, an image of your beauty and glory for all the world to see. We pray this in your name. Amen.